family picnics, sparklers, and watermelon seed spitting contests. These are all part of the 4th of July fun here in the United States. While it's an opportunity to say that funnel cake has no calories because it's a holiday, it's also a chance to celebrate the ideals that our country was founded on, especially the First Amendment. Our question this episode, what does it mean to exercise our right to free speech effectively and responsibly? Welcome to episode 40 of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host, Beth Below, and I'm so glad you've joined me for this special 4th of July episode. I'm coming to you from the woods of northern Michigan. We are here at our family cabin, and um, if the sound is a little bit different, or if you hear, um, let's see, cicadas, or a barking dog, or um, waves in the background, um, that's the explanation for that. So I hope that you'll bear with me as this might sound a little bit different, but I decided that uh, it was important to do an episode and I had lots to share. So thank you for being here. In this episode, I offer up some brief reflections on the First Amendment, specifically about free speech. And this is my way of acknowledging the observance of Independence Day here in the United States. And that said, while most of what I'm going to say might seem like it applies only to an American audience, I know that we are not the only country in the world that has free speech. So, of course, I hope that at least pieces of what I have to say apply to listeners in the 49 other countries that are part of the How Can I Say This community. I'm going to offer a bit of historical and legal context for the First Amendment, but being that I'm neither a historian nor a lawyer, and I'm not prepared to dive into the highly complex topic of what freedom of speech means from a legalistic standpoint, I'm going to quickly pivot to more practical, everyday applications that inform how we express ourselves and communicate with one another. One reason I want to celebrate it is because we owe the very existence of this podcast and the fact that the words we choose to say on this podcast are largely protected to the First Amendment. Its existence is key to our independence, which in my mind makes a brief exploration of the implications of free speech a fitting Independence Day tribute. Plus, I happen to be reading Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow, so I have the genesis of our country very much on my mind right now. And no, I haven't seen the musical. (laughs) Before we jump in, I want to remind you to visit HowCanIsayThis.com for more information about this podcast. From there, you can also access past episodes, subscribe, and find details about how to exercise your freedom of speech to leave a review or offer feedback. And if you find this podcast useful, please share it with your friends, family, and colleagues who you think might find it interesting. An occasional feature of this podcast is responding to listener questions about conflict, communication, connection, and relationship building. I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode. You'll find the online submission form and other instructions at HowCanIsayThis.com. And finally, if you're interested in learning more about interpersonal communication coaching with me, send me a quick email at beth at howcanisaythis.com. Contacting me does not obligate you to anything. It just sets the wheels in motion to have a conversation about partnership opportunities. So please be in touch if I can be of service. Now on to our discussion of freedom of speech. 
let's start out with a little touch of historical context. July 4th brings celebrations commemorating America's independence from Great Britain in 1776. The drafting and adoption of the Declaration of Independence is the defining moment that led to the original 13 colonies becoming the United States of America. So it's only appropriate that we take time out of our busy lives to acknowledge the world-changing sentiments that that document expressed. If I look at the Declaration in layman's terms, I see it as a document that defines and ultimately severs our formal relationship with another country. The Constitution of the United States, which followed in 1789, 13 years after the Declaration of Independence, is our other defining document, this one outlining our relationship with ourselves. It provides the framework and lays down the law for how we are to function as a country. Our branches of government were defined, as well as the relationship between the states and the federal government. Upon its completion, however, there was already some concern being expressed by some of the delegates, particularly Thomas Jefferson, that the document didn't properly address conflicts that were already arising between the states, nor did they feel that it provided adequate protection for individual citizens. Others felt the Constitution went as far as it needed to, that individual rights were implicit, and they opposed the suggestion that a set of amendments be crafted. It was a bitter debate that eventually produced the Bill of Rights, which are ten amendments that have become part of every American's vocabulary. Of particular note that we are all familiar with is the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. The Fourth Amendment that defends citizens from unreasonable search and seizure and requires probable cause for such actions. And the Fifth Amendment that protects against double jeopardy or self-incrimination. It's the First Amendment, though, that forms the cornerstone of our democracy, and that's where I want to focus our attention. Here's the text of the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The amendment is elegant in its simplicity and wicked when subjected to interpretation. The part that we're focused on is Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. While private citizens might think they know what is and isn't free speech, it's a complicated problem that is most often relegated to the Supreme Court to untangle. When I started researching this, I consistently saw the word struggle when describing the Supreme Court's relationship to free speech. As far as I could tell in my very surface reading, when a case comes before the court that involves free speech rights and leans toward making blanket, all-inclusive judgments that would limit free speech, the court seems to err on the side of saying the speech is protected. This means that speech that most of us would find reprehensible, including hate speech, is protected by the First Amendment. When faced with a decision to censor or not, they often opt not to censor, even if that speech is morally repugnant to large numbers of people. I can only dare to imagine the slippery slope we would all go down if they opted to censor more frequently. And in reality, it's the free expression of ideas that we disagree with that makes space for different ideas and conflicts to occur. And sometimes that conflict leads to something stronger and healthier than would have existed otherwise. While free speech means just what it says, it does have its limits. 
If you really want to go down a rabbit hole, do a little research into case law around free speech. You'll find ample examples that quickly highlight how nuanced, contextual, and complicated this freedom is. We all know that it's not okay to yell fire in a crowded theater if there's no fire. That's a clear exception to free speech. There are also what they call fighting words and clear and present danger exceptions, along with the civil offense of defamation, which takes the form of slander and libel. In an age when a single tweet or Facebook post can spread like wildfire and live forever, it's worth it to take the time to do a little internet research to understand these basic terms so that you don't find yourself on the wrong end of the law. However, for most of us, we're not likely to ever be engaged in a legal challenge to the words we speak or write. But it's important to have the context I shared, just so that you can understand where the right came from and why it's important. So I'm going to proceed here with the assumption that those of us who care about the words we speak and the influence they have, which I also assume is everyone listening to this podcast, I assume that we are mostly concerned about the practical, everyday free speech that we engage in. It's a right that feels fundamental, but also at times precarious. The ability to post liberally and even anonymously to online media outlets and social media sites is something the writers of the Constitution and Bill of Rights could not have foreseen. Our access to information and people in power is extraordinary and unprecedented. And the right of free speech is challenged and stretched every single day by the platforms we've grown so comfortable with. It can leave us feeling as if we can say whatever we want without consequence. But we know that there are consequences, and that's why I'm going to invite us to see free speech as not only a right, but a responsibility, and something we should never take for granted. In the name of national security, or corporate responsibility, or the common good, or political correctness, our free speech rights could start to be chipped away at any time, if they aren't already, and I'm sure some of you would say they are being chipped away actively. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole either, because the point isn't to provide commentary on the direction we're headed, but simply to suggest that we cannot take our freedom of speech and freedom of the press for granted, and we must be responsible for it and with it. It's the freedom that, when used with best intent, gives us the ability to voice our dissent, openly disagree with our neighbors, friends, and families, and elected officials, all without fear of punishment. With that being said, and in honor of Independence Day here in the States, here are four reflections on the everyday, how can I say this, application of freedom of speech. I'm using the expression free speech in a broader sense, that we have the freedom to choose our words, to speak or not to speak. So how do we exercise our right to free speech effectively and responsibly? One, free speech doesn't mean freedom from consequences of that speech. You can say what you want, but there may be repercussions such as losing a friendship, alienating a family member, or creating tension in your workplace. If you speak your mind online, you are opening yourself to trolls and other types of feedback that you may find upsetting. That is just the reality. Free speech goes both ways. And just because you have the right to say or write something doesn't mean that others have to listen to or read it. We are not guaranteed a platform for our views. 
The way we get that platform when our views are controversial is by framing our words in ways that inform, inspire, influence, persuade, and create change, rather than inciting and pushing the limits of free speech with extreme rhetoric that provokes anger or hate. I realize even as I say that, that it might sound like I'm advocating just for nice, pleasant speech that doesn't upset people. And I really have to say that is not what I'm saying at all. It's more about creating a message that considers the consequences, including possible rebuttals, debates, controversies, or even that you might be ignored. If you want to provoke anger, do so with the intention of inspiring people to action that will make positive change. And even then, recognize that not everyone will agree that the change you want is positive. If you are prepared for the debates and controversies, and if you've taken time to reflect using empathy and an intention to understand the other side, then you're more likely to find a common ground, or to get people to think differently, or at least avoid an all-out argument. Consider if you're prepared for the consequences and fallout of whatever it is that you want to say, and if what you want to say is worth those consequences. 2. Before you jump into speaking your mind in the spirit of free speech, reflect on whether what you're saying and how you're saying it moves the situation forward and adds to understanding, or if it distracts from your message and contributes to divisiveness. As I reflect on this, I find myself going back to episode 20 and my interview with author and activist Parker Palmer. He wrote the following in the introduction to his latest book, titled On the Brink of Everything, and I shared this in that episode. He wrote, Sharon Palmer, my wife, gets the first look at everything I write and reads it with an artist's eyes. When I asked her how she edits my stuff, she said, I ask three questions. Is it worth saying? Is it said clearly? Is it said beautifully? I asked her only one question. How do I manage to get anything past you? When you read Parker's work, you find volumes of wisdom that was worth saying, said clearly, and said beautifully. And as soon as I read Sharon's questions, I thought that those also served as excellent guidelines for difficult conversations. As you consider your sharp retort or emotional reply, ask yourself, is it worth saying? Will it serve the relationship to say something? Is it said clearly? Have you adequately reflected on what's happening and gotten to the heart of it so that you can be precise and concise with your speech? And finally, is it said beautifully? Can you offer your thoughts from a place of empathy, love, and openness rather than anger or fear? I invite you to consider those questions the next time you want to prevent or diffuse an unproductive conflict. Let them serve as a guide for shifting from fear to love. Now, those three questions form the framework for productive, responsible free speech. If you use those questions as a guideline, maybe along with the rotary four-way test, you should always find yourself on common ground. And if you're not familiar with the rotary four-way test, you can visit the episode webpage and you'll find it there. Three, just because you can doesn't mean you should. This goes for word and deed, written, spoken, emailed, or posted on social media. Freedom doesn't mean you do whatever you want, whenever you want. Well, it sort of does, but just like everything we value in life, there are healthy and unhealthy ways those values can manifest, including freedom. The Supreme Court says I can do all kinds of things, including hate speech and symbolic actions that will objectively offend large numbers of people. But what does that serve? 
how does it advance my cause or help me to be seen and heard? I might be seen and heard, but it might not be in the way that I want to be. And there's value in looking in the mirror when we find ourselves condemning someone else's self-expression. We might be surprised to find that we're exhibiting precisely the intolerant or offensive behavior we're complaining about. If I start saying bad things about someone who's saying bad things about me or my beliefs or about people who think like me, then I'm no better. It doesn't matter if they're wrong and I'm right, because of course, isn't that always the case? My defensiveness points to insecurity and a fear that I might be wrong, which threatens my identity and attachment to being right. Our freedom of expression gives them the right to believe what they believe and me the right to believe what I believe. It's entirely possible that if we deny one person that right, we deny all of us that right. If we use discretion and thoughtfulness in how we speak, especially when we know we're going to cause conflict or even anger, we are being respectful to the intentions of the First Amendment. Remember, it's a law created by people in power, and it's a law that can be removed by people in power. That's probably why the Supreme Court is so cautious about ruling against individual expression. I find this passage from Alice in Wonderland particularly appropriate to share at this point. Alice says, I don't think... Then you shouldn't talk, said the Hatter. 4. Finally, and this might sound like a contradiction, I suggest that because you can, you should. Here I share another quote that makes the point beautifully. It comes from the memoir Hope Against Hope by Nadezhda Maldestam wife of preeminent Russian poet Osip Medelistrom. She wrote, I decided it is better to scream. Silence is the real crime against humanity. For further context, the book description shares that it's a vital eyewitness of Stalin's Soviet Union and one of the greatest testaments to the value of literature and imaginative freedom ever written. According to the book review from Amazon.com, her husband had written a lighthearted satire ridiculing Stalin. It proved to be a 16-line death sentence. Now, consider the millions of lines of satire, opinion, commentary, and outright ridicule that have been written and spoken about our country's leaders of all political parties for the past 200-plus years. While Maldestrom was speaking of Stalin's Soviet Union, there are stories today of people around the world being imprisoned or even killed for expressing beliefs contrary to their government. That's why I'm emphasizing that most of us in contemporary America have always treated free speech as a given, a right that can't be taken away. But if we are not watchful and diligent, it can be taken away. We need to exercise it, respect it, and use it if we want to keep it. It's through free speech that we change hearts and minds. It's how we shine the light on the truth. It's how we hold people accountable. It's how we forge our identity and make our dent in the universe. If we don't use it, we lose it. So I'm going to fold my closing call to action into this fourth reflection. Here's what I hope you'll do to fully claim your rights as a United States citizen or a citizen of any other country that embraces free speech. Exercise your right to state your opinions to people in power. Write a letter, send a text or fax, comment to them on social media, tell them what's important to you. Write the book that you've always been wanting to write. Self-publishing is the ultimate manifestation of freedom of the press. Take advantage of it. Start the podcast or YouTube channel that gets your ideas out into the world. Express your views on social media. 
And as you do these things, do them courageously. That is with heart. Speak for yourself. Speak your truth. Check your sources. Don't go on assumptions. Notice your biases and privilege. Consider that you might be wrong. Respect the freedom of others to disagree with you. State your case with humility. Being able to say, I told you so, is speech that you are free to say, but it won't win you any hearts and minds. Pick your battles. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Know when silence speaks louder than words. And conversely, to borrow the words from a post-9-11 campaign, if you see something, say something. Where you see injustice, bullying, discrimination, prejudice, or hurtful behavior, use your freedom of speech to speak out. As my guests Zahabia and Kyle offered in episode 38, be an accomplice. Be ready and willing to use whatever power, position, or privilege that you have to call out abuses of freedom of expression that unleash shame, fear, or hate. Encounter them with expressions of empathy, compassion, and love. Thank you for indulging me in this exploration of how we can use our freedom of speech responsibly and for good and not evil. I think it's a fascinating topic, and I'm going to keep researching it long after um, this podcast is over. And it's complicated enough to keep us all on our toes for a very, very long time. I hope you came away with a deeper appreciation for this fundamental freedom. Happy Independence Day here or in whatever country you celebrate it, whenever you celebrate it, and however you have chosen to celebrate. This is Beth Bilo, and you have been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Courageously.